A noble man's governance begins with small issues but finally achieves a great goal that others cannot catch up. Welcome to Inside the Chinese Mind, the podcast for learning how to work cross-culturally with China business and with Chinese people and about China business development. Your hosts, Dr. Helen Jung from Cambridge, United Kingdom and Darren Fuchs from Thomson Gear Lawyers in Australia. Hello, Helen. How are, how are you? Very good. How are you, Darren? I'm looking I'm... forward to our discussion this time. <laughs> Yin Yang and uh, Yin Yang and uh, higher. I think there's no more favorite topic you have than that, Helen. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Just what you just um, said, um, Darren. That's a quote. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is from a letter that Mr. Zhang wrote to his staff in 1996, indicating how Chinese culture was deeply shaping his thinking and ultimately would shape the the culture of higher. Indeed. From this saying itself, uh, Darren, we can see how Chinese mm. view the big and the small as part of the whole. They're interconnected. They're not independent. So if we pay attention to small things, that will bring yeah. results. Yeah. And uh, certainly Mr. Zhang and his team have certainly achieved big results with hire over the last, what, 25 years. Absolutely. So, hey, quick recap on what Yin Yang is. Please. Let's remember that, that like Socratic thinking is the operating system of the Western mind, Yin Yang is the operating system of the Chinese mind. And the main difference is, is in Socratic thinking, you have a dialectic process, which is you have to resolve down to something being right and everything else or the other thing being wrong. Where in in young thinking, you don't collapse a function. You keep the all the options till option open, and you have this dynamic pendulum where there is no absolute right or wrong. Sure, makes sense. Yeah, sure. The um, the next um, uh, point to remember is that instead of the black and white in the standard or traditional Western thinking, Chinese focus more on balancing. So balancing. Yeah. Yin yeah. and yang, two forces are the weak and the strong, or uh, yeah. the opposites of what seemingly to be two extremes or conflicts to achieve harmony. Yeah, which is a really great process because you don't get stuck in one position. And as the world changes or the situation changes, you're able to move and adapt to the change position very quickly. Sure. Yeah. Which brings us to the next point where for the Western thinking, things need to be more fixed and immutable. Where yes. for the Asian or Chinese yin yang thinking, uh, change is the only constant. And yes. also they allow many continuums. They can hold many continuums <laughs> all at once, simultaneously. All at once. Yeah. Yeah. All in the mind, all at once. It's it's a to me it's a much more complex way of thinking. Indeed. It's much more involved. Yeah. Yeah. As we go through the conversation discussion of the higher case, uh, that will yeah. come out very yeah. clearly. Yeah. Yin and Yang neither compete nor conflict each other. They complement each other, and that to me means it's not like you're going to Yin or you're going to Yang. You're actually going uh, and and having both applying at the same time. So it's a question of balancing, not question of balance, but balancing. 
sure. you're constantly trying to keep in that, or trying, or constantly working to be in a balanced position, but you're always balancing. Right. Yeah, just quickly on that one, uh, Darren, I remember how in China we talked about this briefly, but we will yeah. talk more on the nature yeah. of the businesses. So the major Chinese businesses, state-owned enterprises, SOE as we call them, so they are yes. government-owned, but they're run by uh, executives that are appointed at yes. least the top, the most senior um, management are appointed by the Chinese government. So yes. I recall at one stage, there are two of the most important telecom companies, uh, SOEs yeah. in China. Yeah. Yes. Um, at one stage, the government was concerned that one of them is taking up too much market share right. and yes. having too much of a dominance over the right. competitor. So they made an announcement, and you know what happened. They said, from tomorrow, we switch yes. the two management groups. Oh, really? I didn't realize that they completely switched the two management groups between no, the two. Yeah they, just, yeah, they just picked them up and says, now from tomorrow, you guys run your competition. There you go. That's <laughs> the benefits of a centralized government as opposed to uh, a, a capitalist democratic society. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can make those changes. Yeah. There's a quote I wanted to use from an article called The Dynamics of Cooperation and Competition by Anika Tidstrom from the Department of Management and Organizational University at Vassar and from Lars Matson from my favorite department, the Department of Marketing and Strategy at Stockholm School of Economics. Mm. And they said, yin and yang neither compete nor conflict. They complement each other. It is a question of balancing, not balance. It's a process, a dynamic state of balanced movement. The process is rhythmic and not linear or cyclic. And that really, it makes the difference to me to understand that yin-yang thinking is not going to a position, but accepting that there are many positions and operating on the basis that all these options are open all the time and you can sure. switch between them. Yeah. That's very well said. This um, reminds me of, I mean, in the Western modern management theories, people are, uh, for example, now the uh, system thinking, the yes. system theory is yep. quite yes. uh, prevailing. It has a lot of yes. attention from uh, various, from the business yeah. to academic yes. uh, sphere. And also the, ecos um, the business ecosystems where yes. um, there are um, theories coming up, for example, co-opetition. So they put yes. cooperation yes. and competition together, call it co-opetition. <laughs> <laughs> so the yep. Western uh, thinking and the acknowledgement is coming up. It's, um, yeah. it's gaining uh, attention. Yeah, and I think, uh, as we'll talk about later, companies like Google, um, uh, SpaceX, Tesla, and a number of other companies in the U.S., now apply what they call yin-yang thinking in certain areas. Now, it's not quite, it's not yin-yang, but it's, uh, it's certainly heading that way, and particularly in R&D areas. Um, it's, um, as we touched on before, Darren, yin-yang yeah. is prevailing. Um, yes. For me, as a Chinese person, yin-yang is not just for business. It's not just to interpret how to achieve a business goal or help my client to achieve what they want to achieve, it's, it's part of life. It's a worldview. So it's an operating I, system. 
Yeah, yeah. so I use that. It, it's a, absolutely, you, you said it. I use that in my own life as well. So yeah. there's, there's yin yang in every aspect that we can apply. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's very much sort of seeing it that Westerners see it as applying to innovation, but I think it's right. obviously everything. If it's an operating system that sits in the background, it's everything. Sure. So, of course, business, business actions, business covers strategy and planning, organizing, staffing, directing, controlling. Um, so for me, the big areas where Ian Young applies to is, oh, every area of business. Because if it's an operating system, it sits in the background on every decision. We'll talk today about mainly the leadership style of the company with hire um, and for the next few weeks. Uh, but it applies very much to models of innovation and R&D, um, staffing, uh, everything about directing and controlling and organizing as well. Indeed. Well, um, for Chinese, uh, naturally, you know, innovation is a dynamic process. It's never ending. It's ever evolving. I remember years back um, listening or reading up on hire um, yeah. after they took market dominance for producing the the first fridge, which, which was regarded as a, a joint venture, you know, with a German partner. The fridge was very sleek looking and the logo was very, you know, cute with two little person, one Chinese, one German looking or uh, uh, Caucasian, uh, you know, two little, yeah, two little children holding hands. You know, it's, it, cool. it, it was quite a success back then yes. um, in the Chinese yeah. markets, um, yeah. people's eyes. And then they went in and slowly took over the washing machine market. Yeah. And at that stage, they probably reached the saturation for all the cities to, for the households to buy their things. And then what they did is they invented a potato washing machine. Yes. For the farmers to wash their vegetables. Yes. That's how yes. clever is that? So now to me, that is quite a um, process of, of don't stop. You know, you, you just keep on going. Constantly change. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Constantly improve. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, to get to that level of connection to your market, mm. you must have a process where a lot of the things that interfere with management understanding what the market wants, a lot of those interferences disappear. But we'll get to that shortly. Sure. So that that is a good point, Darren, because yeah. that just shows the innovation and then bring your product to market process. It yeah. involves both yin and yang. The yin um, indicating you have to contemplate and do a lot of internal the research, mm. the development. Mm. But then mm. you have to take action quick enough <clears throat> to launch your product. Um, yes. Because for a lot of the um, inventions, the issue is actually people want it to be perfect. So, But when you perfect your product, others have already yes. made it to the market and used the market to test it and improve it, and then you yeah. miss out on, on your opportunity. Yeah. yeah. As I say, first mover advantage is not an advantage. No. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Companies yeah. like Uber, go, Uber goes out first and develops yeah. a new market that's followed by Ola and Diddy uh, yes. and, uh, and uh, gets crowded out pretty quickly. So sure. unless you can... Unless you can, can trade a monopoly or a core controlled oligopoly like all Facebook or Microsoft, yeah. um, being the first mover is usually a, a, uh, a bad position to be in. You're better to be a leader, not a bleeder. Yes. <laughs> on the leading edge, not the bleeding edge. So what, um, 
Yeah, so the shift in hire in nineteen five is now a shift from is is has been a shift of hire moving from being a manufacturer to effectively being a platform organization, a platform for developing new ideas and then putting them into place. So it really has become an entrepreneur company mm. where it's able to maintain that entrepreneurial drive consistently. So it, a lot of companies go as entrepreneurs and they develop a pro- product and then they mm. go into a manufacturer or service provider where hire can do all those things but has also been able to maintain itself as an entrepreneur, which is a really clever way of making it happen. So should we go through the stages that Hire has um, used in its development over the last 30-odd years? Absolutely. Let's do that first, okay. Aaron, and then perhaps we can summarize um, how yin-yang thinking was applied all the way through its uh, evolution. Yeah, and I love the first stage, which is from 1984 to 1991, when Mr. Jung took over in 84. And he quickly changed it from merely a manufacturer into creating self-organizing teams. And there's a Chinese saying, Helen, um, be apprehensive and cautious as if treading on thin ice. And that was a driving concept for Mr. Jung in beginning uh, his role with the company. Indeed, Darren. That is a motto for many Chinese business leaders and entrepreneurs, uh, which yep. in Chinese is called Zhan Zhan Jing Jing Ru Lu Bo Bing. So you never rest on your laurels and yes. you never take things for granted and never let your ego outrun your real purpose. Yeah, which actually is fairly in young, isn't it? Because it's yes. the thinking is is you can't rely on I've had a position, uh, I've established a position, therefore that'll be maintained. So sure. it's constantly reworking the position all the time. Indeed. Yeah. And then Mr. Jung in 1984, when he took over hire, it was a bankrupt refrigerator manufacturer. Mm. Uh, and it, it was viewed as having little future. So his first step was to bring in the concept what he called quality production. Whilst everybody else, Helen, was focusing on quantity mm. of production, bringing out as many, uh, producing as many items as possible with adequate quality to be sold into the Chinese market, he switched the thinking completely and moved it to, we are humble, we are, must be therefore uh, represented by the quality of our goods and moved the company into concentrating on quality. How did he do that, Helen? Oh, he uh, did something that was unthinkable back then. So what did he do? <laughs> in front of all the workers, um, he used a big sledgehammer and destroyed all the fridge, oh, sorry, all the um, uh, product, the fridge that came through the line that uh, supposedly had some uh, small issues or yes. quality concerns. And that's a huge amount of money to be destroyed in front yes. of everyone's eyes and and that just sent out a message to everyone how important he treats yes he yes. regards quality and that made uh, national news that was just something that everyone remembered of the 400 odd fridges he had in stock 76 had defects he, he got a someone to do a re- review and find out how many of the finished products were actually 
perfect. And he found that of, of the 400, 76 were not. And I think it was right. suggested to him that why don't you just sell those to staff at mm. a discounted price as an incentive? Mm. And his reaction was, if I do that, then I'm encouraging everyone to produce low-quality goods. Right. So he actually gathered up the staff who uh, had produced the 76 faulty refrigerators mm. and go to them each a sledgehammer and a sledgehammer himself and in front of obviously film crew and all the staff they destroyed the, the uh, defective machines the defective refrigerators on their and website inter- there's still a uh, black and white picture of that event yeah and i think it was a, a turning event for the company that that he was actually saying i'm switching from quantity to follow a different principle and this is something that also I remember hearing Jack Ma say that in following In Young that he loves um, uh, Amazon and other competitors because then he can see where they're going and where they go that is strong, he'll go somewhere else mm-hmm. and find a strength there. So he was actually moving the company to a different position. Mm-hmm. Helen, can you tell us your thoughts on how does that represent In Young thinking? Um, you don't really see other people as your competition. And you don't really think, well, that's the only market or that's the only world because what you can see is by seeing and learning from the others, you identify not the complementary, but what else are the things that they're not doing. So they offer you the opportunity or the market to explore. But also you then learn and you realize nothing is static so nothing is uh, unchangeable so the market moves and then there's a trend you know there's the wave of technology there's the in china the political the policy directives so a good leader like jack ma or um, mr zhang raymin they're able to stand at a much higher level above just seeing the market as, you know, who's the player, who am I competing with? In that stage, yeah. Helen, he moved, he put in, he put in a practice called OEC, yes. which was overall every control and clear, uh, which was based on the Japanese production method of quality control circles. Mm-hmm. And uh, in addition to it, he added on that, uh, People had to accomplish today what is planned for today and improve on that tomorrow. So he built in mm. a self-improvement process. Um, right. And that self-improvement process, you, any self-help uh, videos you watch these days have, uh, at the end of the day, think about what you did, think about what you could have done better, visualize how you can do it better, and then make a plan for how you make that occur tomorrow. So he was building that in in 1984 till 1990-odd. Mm. So he that was, was a self-improvement. Yeah, self-improvement guru before we had self-improvement gurus. Yeah, and what happened there also, Darren, I think he's given the trust. He's sharing the trust and the ownership. So he made it the responsibility of those employees and gave them a sense of power and ownership. As in, if I can compete and repeatedly do this, I move from one team to the next which means um, I don't have to be checked and supervised. And, you know, there's a trust. And that trust empowers the employees to continue to do better and keep on improving. Yes. So he moved from uh, once a team could show that they had a quality 
they were qualified in quality and would continually apply quality by themselves, he redesignated that team as from a qualified team to a self-organizing team. Right. So he's internally had qualified teams and self-organizing teams. And of course, the qualified teams were always working to try to become self-organizing teams. And of course, by 1991, that self-organizing team process was throughout higher. Mm. So Helen, I think we've done enough for today. How about we have a break and come back to more about In Young and the higher model in the next podcast? That's I right. agree, Darren. Podcasts, I hope you enjoyed our conversation and enjoy the higher story. See you next time. All right. Bye, Podcats. Bye-bye. Thank you for one flight with Air China.